Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Good morning, Michelle. Hello. Coming up on today's episode, the dating app that only wants private school kids, plus a Love Island contestant's viral declaration that influencing is a hard job, and why Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't date women over the age of 25. But first, Zara, do tell me how your week was. (laughs) I just realised I haven't actually thought about how I'm going to answer this question. Do you ever have those weeks where you look back and you think, I have no idea what the fuck I've done all week? I can give you a few pointers. Tell me. Your fake tan disasters, of which there were two. There were two. (laughs) I woke up with it all over my face and notable dribble marks, but that's for another time. I woke up with it all over my hands, and that was a different night as well. Mm -hmm. I actually didn't consume a heap this week. We are going on holidays as of tomorrow, so it's been kind of a mad rush trying to get everything together and everything prepared. So for that reason, neither of us have consumed much at all. It's been much more a case of of me lining up all my ducks to work out what I'm going to read while I'm away. How'd you go with packing? Terrible. I actually realised I'm A, a very bad packer and B, don't enjoy it. Yeah. Do you enjoy packing? No. So first world. (laughs) I tell you what the worst part is though, unpacking when you get home from a holiday. Those people who can get home and unpack as soon as they open the front door to their house befuddle me. I I can never be that person. I wish I was that person. Mm. When it comes to packing though, someone asked me the other day, are you a high maintenance packer? And I think it is an interesting personality test. I wouldn't (laughs) say I'm a high maintenance packer at all. I would say I'm more of an anxious packer in that I just pack everything because you never know what's going to be thrown at you. That is a lie, Zara McDonald. Oh my God. You're not high maintenance. You're the complete opposite, but you also don't pack everything that you need. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm a terrible packer. You're a chronically bad packer. When we went to Meccaland, (laughs) I remember we were in a group of people all going to the one event, obviously, and everyone put their bags on the scale and yours came in like seven kilograms lighter than the next person. I don't know why I'm so bad at it. I think it's a rush job. I think I never leave enough time. It's very annoying. It's like every time you get ready at my apartment, you bring your makeup bag and every single time without fail, you'll look up at me about two steps into your makeup routine and be like, do you have a sharpener? And do you have a bronzer? And do you have a foundation? 
foundation brush I can use. That's more of a lazy thing, like a deliberate lazy thing because they know that you have everything. So I just throw everything into a bag and assume that if I've forgotten something, you're going to remember. That's why whenever we go away together, <laughs> as if we're some old married couple, <laughs> I never bring toothpaste. Yeah, gotcha. We do have our little routine with who brings what when we go away, that's for sure. Can you recommend the bra that you literally flashed to oh, me before we sat down true. to record? This is not sponsored and I can't believe you just you know revealed to the masses that I flashed you before we went on air. And your brother, who I think was happening to <laughs> He didn't know what was going on. Um, I just went to, I did a bra shopping last night because it has been, you know, when you realize it's been probably about a year since you've actually forked out and bought a bunch of bras. Mm. So I bought like three last night from Cotton On Body and I was very happy with myself. The other thing I did want to touch on before we go into bra talk, which wasn't prepared, which no, I, I definitely am not prepared for. I definitely want to go into bra talk. Um, I've prepped three books that I'm going to try and read while I'm in New York yeah. and I'm putting them on air now. So I make sure I try and read all of them. Okay, great. I'm going to read More Than Enough by Elaine Welteroth, which I have been like fanging to read for months. Fanging? Is this the book that when it rocked up to your front door, you literally squealed? I thought that we had won like a Pulitzer Prize or something. You (laughs) were squealing. And when I came out, you're like, oh my God, look what it is. And I saw the book. I was like, I don't even know. I don't even know what that is. I'll let you know what it's like. But she was the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue and now she's written a book. The other book I want to read is Breaking Badly by Georgie Dent. We're interviewing yes. Georgie when I am when we get back from break. Mm-hmm. So that will be really great. And the third book is one you recommended in the newsletter this week, which is Conversations with Friends, which was Sally Rooney's first book. Absolutely, yes. How was your week? I feel like we didn't get enough bra talk in. Oh, my God, I don't want to talk about you my can't, bras. You can't just recommend three bras from Cotton On and not tell us what they look like or what style they are or why you like them. I to recommend them. You told me to recommend them. All right, well, I'll just take this my own way then. <laughs> Zara showed me the bra and the straps are a bit thicker. Confirm, deny. Yeah, which sounds weird, but I think they're cool. Yeah, and it's like red and a little bit lacy, but the straps look thicker and they're not like that type it's, that will cut into your skin. There's more of a halternet vibe about it. It looks a bit like a sports bra crossed with like a <laughs> sexy piece of lingerie. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Mum will be loving this. <laughs> my week? Are you asking me about I, my week I now? did ask you about your week. Uh, it was a really, really good week. I'm super tired and exhausted and I'm so excited to have two weeks off. You're going to New York, which I feel like is the trend of this podcast. Whenever we take a break, you go overseas and I just stay at home saving for an apartment yeah. that I want to buy. So you're clearly making the smarter financial decisions. Yeah. But then again, like you may as well, if you <laughs> can while you're young. I do love these conversations we have before we both go on break because we both spend like the weeks prior um, making the other feel better about the decision they've made. Yeah, I know. I do feel really boring whenever you you're not boring jet at all. set. I'm like, why did I have I- to tell Mitch that I wanted to buy an apartment? with him. I feel too frivolous with my money. In my defense, 2019 is my single finding myself here. <laughs> Sorry, so you're self-discovery, you guys. That was a joke. What else did you do this week? I think I just chilled out with you most of the time. By chilled out, I mean worked to the bone. Uh, we had a very fun and unusual dinner with Mitch, my partner, and Sophie, our friend. It was like the weirdest foursome ever, but that was fun. It was great. I needed to bring a date, so Sophie was my date. <laughs> yeah. I do want to recommend Hey Tiger Chocolate. A yeah, bit of a random amazing. recommendation from me this week. I didn't read and I didn't watch anything, but Hey Tiger, I'm going to get their website up while I talk about it to make sure I don't get anything wrong. They are an ethical chocolate company, so it's made in Melbourne, Australia. And I'd seen this floating around. I'd see different people recommend it on Instagram, whatever. Never really thought much about it until I tried my first Hey Tiger chocolate at a shoot that we were on on Thursday. Holy shit, like best chocolate I've ever had. To know that it's ethical and I think they also donate money to different African communities as well. So there's like a big social impact side to this business. It's a little bit pricey, but holy shit, it would be such a good 
gift idea. If you want to give someone a small present without going over the top, it's just really good chocolate. You can get it online. And I went and ordered some today because I'm so obsessed with it. I feel like it's a classic case of seeing something around and it needing to be on your radar maybe five or six times before you try it. Because I've seen Beck Judd post about it a lot. And Zoe Foster Blake has too. Really? Okay, I didn't know so that. So you, Beck and Zoe, same category. <laughs> <laughs> what a trio. That's my recommendation. I don't have anything apart from that. Sorry. Yeah, we are really, you know, like clutching at straws today. Let's get into the show though, Michelle, because we are starting with a private school dating app. We are indeed. It is called Toffee. And the the objective is, is that you have to go to an independent or private school to join because my favorite quote in the world from Toby's founders, people who went to private school are more likely to be attracted to each other and stick together. Thoughts? <laughs> One of my thoughts. I don't even know where to start with this. Genuinely, I don't know where to start from this. So it originated out of the UK, was founded by Lydia Davis in an interview with the Sydney Morning Herald. Davis described Toffee as a niche dating app with 34% of Australians having been privately educated. What? How do you define niche? One third of the population doesn't feel very niche to me. It doesn't feel niche in the slightest. I mean, I want to laugh at this, but I also just feel mildly exhausted. Yeah, same. I was a little bit pleased to see that if you went to a Catholic school, you're included. So if I wanted to sign up to Toffee, I would be in. So I was independent, but also what happens if you're a scholarship kid like I was? (laughs) So I'm kind of like, do I count? Am I frauding the system? (laughs) This reminds me so much of Jamae private school girl in that you would be like the povo private school kid. Me? You, yeah, you don't belong there. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You're just a brainiac who got in there for free. And if someone started dating you, they'd be like, what the hell? You're not rich. That reminds me on a quick tangent. Do you remember the time I said on the podcast that I was in Jamae private school <laughs> show? You but I'm not. You I forgot to specify that I was an extra in the background and I barely got any airtime. So he sent like all of these listeners to try and find me when I actually wasn't on the screen. Wait, you never got onto well, any. I, I should actually put the photo in the group. I the, Maybe the top of my bun is in the frame. <laughs> anyway, it did also remind me of Jamae because it sounds like a spoof, right? It is. I feel like the worst aspect of this dating app, which just launched in Australia, by the way, I think it actually goes live in two weeks time yeah. from today, but you can enroll or like sign up or whatever they call it in private school land and then be approved and then begin dating each other in two weeks time. The Toffee Instagram page is so laughable. I'm, I can't quite decide if they're trying to be a parody of themselves with the memes yeah. that they're sharing or if they're trying to, I don't know, laugh at themselves. But I think you can't really laugh at yourself if you've launched an app where only people from private school can date. So what's so funny about the Instagram account? Because I haven't seen it. <laughs> okay. I made a list of my favorite memes. So about me, less Netflix and chill, more Amazon Prime and commitment. <laughs> It doesn't even rhyme and it's not even funny. It gets so much worse. And a gentleman should always offer to carry a lady's skis. (laughs) (laughs) And... My closet looks like I'm sponsored by Ralph Lauren. <laughs> that is surely a parody. That can't be serious. Oh, well, it's kind of embarrassing as well because it's not as if these get lots of likes and comments and stuff. It's like the Ralph Lauren one had about 30 likes, I think, and maybe 15 That's comments. amazing. I do like how they filter by person. Like I like how the profile is set up. And when I say I like, I mean I find it quite funny in that – the app makes you answer questions like perfect menu, starter, main dessert and cheese and prompts users to list their favourite events on these social calendar. <laughs> what does that even mean? Like, like the polo? Yeah, I guess the polo. The Melbourne races. Cup? How, what, that, that doesn't even mean anything. <laughs> Rich people stuff? Okay, well, tell me what your starter, what was it? Starter, 
main dessert and variety of cheese would be? I hate questions like this. Come on, give Why it to are us. you putting me in boxes? Starter. Starter cheese. <laughs> Does that even count? Main. main. Cheese. No, come on, main. Main, probably like a good risotto. Yeah, true. I agree with that. Dessert. Maybe like, oh, we had this conversation <laughs> the other day and I said my ultimate dessert. I actually just really like a good cookie. <laughs> Which means I'm absolutely going to be rejected from this app if I ever tried to get on. That's so non-private school of you. I know. A cookie. cookie. Like a Subway cookie? I'm I'm 12. No, I actually don't rate the Subway cookies. (gasps) Unpopular opinion. What would yours be? Uh, Okay. Starter would be something like... A chicken skewer. Actually, give me some prawns for starters. That's quite private school. That's very private school. Main, I agree with you. Risotto is my favorite food. I often make us risotto actually when we're just working from home on a cold winter day. Is risotto bogan or cool? I think risotto is just middle class. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if we could go to like, what do they call those really fancy restaurants when they have those hats? Is it like when you have three hats? (laughs) Do you mean a Michelin star? Oh my god! I think there's like a hat. <laughs> I think there's a hat system. Yeah, okay. There's a hat system. No, okay. No one bring that up in the Facebook the group. Hat, I'll delete any posts. Perhaps it depends on the type of risotto. So are you pumping it full of bacon or prawns? And that depends on how you know. My my specialty is chicken and bacon risotto. Yeah, for those wondering, risotto. dessert. I would have to say, you know what, a sticky date pudding would be my favorite type of dessert. I don't mind a sticky date. Variety of cheese. There's this smoked. I think it's smoked Do you think cheddar. Anyone cares about our answers? To oh this? God, yeah. People would be answering in their heads right now. I can guarantee it. Probably a smoked cheddar. <laughs> a smoked cheddar. Okay, so. In an interview, I'm moving right away from the food talk because I'm not sure how we got here. I'm interested in Lydia, the founder's comment saying, the app is not supposed to be snobby or divisive. Mm. If this app serves no purpose other than being divisive, what the fuck does it exist for? (laughs) It does say a lot about the notion of pedigree. Yeah. About that old white mentality that private school educations breed like a better kind of human, better breed of human. Like more well-rounded. I feel like that's how they market themselves to Australians, that you will be a more well-rounded human if you go to school here. Yeah. And it really does stick to that herd mentality or that we're all in this together vibe. Let's stick together as if people who didn't go to a private school are lesser than or like muggles compared to the elite private school kids. A muggle is a a funny but weird way to put it. I am interested though, and this could be me just playing deliberate devil's advocate, Mm -hmm. but is this just a more formalized platform that reiterates how we all interact anyway. Like, isn't Australia a little classist anyway? Isn't our education system completely tilted away from supporting public education and our dating culture dependent on like swiping, which means you see one photo of someone and find out where they live and and decide whether you like them or not? Is it just a more formalized system that sort of, you know frames how we all interact anyway. I don't know. That doesn't make it right. By the no, way. true. When I was coming up with my notes for this segment, I was thinking back to when I was, I think I would have been 20 when I was dating this one boy and he went to a really elite boys school and I went to a Catholic girls school, which no one has ever heard of. It's Avala for anyone wondering, which everyone I've goes, oh, Avalon Airport. No, I've heard of that. My cousins went there. <laughs> well, this guy went to a really nice school. He lived in a really fucking nice house, had a really cushy life. And it wasn't like it was ever a point of t- But it was very clear from the get-go with me and him that it was an odd dynamic in that he had a beach house and he went on really fancy holidays. I had never been overseas at this point. It was just a, yeah, it was present there. So in that sense, I do get it because I think it's an unspoken difference in people. It's just that cementing it 
into an app feels really gross. It reminds me a lot of, I'm not sure if you remember this, Sarah, but when I was at Mamma Mia with you, I pitched a story about the Plus 8 dating app. I actually don't know what the Plus 8 dating app is. Okay, so I'm not sure if it ever even launched, but I was going to write a story about it when it was announced in that it was a dating app exclusively for people with attractiveness at an 8 out of 10 and over. <laughs> Who decides your attractiveness level? I don't know. Apparently the founders of the app decide. Whoa. So when you sign up to this app, you had to send just a photo of yourself, <laughs> your name and your age, and then it would tell you if you were approved or not. That's, and I was never approved. So. That's fucking brutal. <laughs> I was never approved, so I'm just going to tell myself that the app yeah. never went oh, ahead. Terrible idea. That just seems like a, a bit of a publicity grab, though. That doesn't sound like an app that could feasibly exist today. You reckon? Well, is, uh, isn't there like elite singles for rich people? And- well, there's Raya, which we've both tested out because you were doing a column on it, so we both thought it was funny to jump on, mm-hmm. which is an also exclusive underground dating app, which is so fucking weird. For like industry professionals, influencers, media personalities and actors. For networking, it's not just for love. But what I find weird about Raya in that it's not like Toffee in that Raya doesn't want publicity. Toffee does. Yeah. Raya wants to kind of push this really elusive, exclusive narrative around itself where no one really knows what it is or what it's about. Yeah. I'm currently writing a column for news.com.au about Raya and there's a whole bunch of footy players on there. It's just basically every AFL and NRL player in the world. (laughs) And the weirdest thing about Raya is that it's not defined by locality. So it doesn't matter if you're in Melbourne and this person's in Brazil, apparently Raya assumes that you're rich enough and elite enough that there is no bounds. There's no geographical limitations here. Oh, and you're not allowed to screenshot. So I nearly got banned from the app because I was finding people that was, I was finding hilarious on there and I was trying to screenshot them to you and I got told that I was going to be banned. And I was like, oh can't get banned from this like one person who no, starts I absolutely with, get banned like one person who starts with jay and ends with alvarez <laughs> i was gonna say that and then i was like ah oh, well i really i don't have the app anymore so it doesn't really matter if we get banned it was great research for my column i really thank you for it you're so welcome i did want to say though there is something interesting about dating culture in that that you i feel like you're either one of two types of people you're either someone that wants to date someone that's kind of in your circle or mm-hmm. someone that leaves a relationship and wants something completely different mm. i think part of the reason that i liked bumble so much when I downloaded it is that I think when you get out of a relationship you feel a little bit like your whole world looks different Mm. and everything I mean there are some terrible things that happen after a breakup but also there's this sense that the whole world feels a little more open and Mm. suddenly you've got like this clean slate there's this nice kind of almost empowering idea it's like I could feasibly end up with someone that I can't even picture right now and that vast amount of openness that an app like Bumble or another one that's not like this Toffee or Raya shit gives you is nice and I think a whole lot of people are missing out on that if these are the places that they're going to to exclusively find partners very well put zara mcdonald before we get on to the quick and dirty would you like to hear this week's uh cash me outside how about that remix is this not ending no i'm actually not kidding when i say (laughs) this is going to the end of the year i'm hoping for listeners who are interested in this little segment that i've begun nobody is i want to go from remixes (laughs) to like a bit of an acoustic vibe like there is no limitations to to what this could do no, you're not going to sing it. Oh. That's annoying. We're oh. just going to use that voice memo of you from about January this year. Okay, so this one today is by a legitimate musician. So his name is Oboy. You can find him on oh Instagram. Boy. On Instagram at Oboy Music. He also has a Spotify hey, account. We have male listeners? Yeah, well, I think I think Oboy's manager, Lillian, listens to the podcast. Oh, and Lillian, so she, you big snake. <laughs> so she got him to do this. Would you like to have a listen? No, but I will. Before I start this, it's said to have smooth disco inspired vibes <laughs> cash me outside how about that cash me outside how about that 
promise the listeners that we're going to play this for the rest of the year. They won us that award. We need to reward them mm. with That's that. That's what I mean. I sold my soul for the award. I mean, did you? I promised it without you even knowing in an episode. No, so. I know that too. <laughs> anyway, now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you five stories from the rough and tumble of the new cycle. I need to pull myself together right now. Yeah. From the rough and tumble of the new cycle. Are you ready? I am. Before we get into this, also, listeners, we have no idea what rough and tumble means. Lots of you are asking us and we don't actually know. It's stuck since episode one. I know what it means because I originally put it in episode one, script one, and I said rough and tumble of the new cycle because the new cycle is so like wild, like a bit wavy, Mm -hmm. you know, ocean. (laughs) Ocean. You can imagine like the rough and tumble of the ocean. The new cycle is a little like that. Like it's crazy. It's like a BMX track. (laughs) We're picking out the good bits. We're picking out the parts that you need to know. Right. Okay, well, apparently it's going to be on the next shameless merch drop, rough and tumble. Yeah, so. it's just the issue is we keep using it in the wrong context, which is confusing people a little bit. I think last week I used it as a verb. Yeah, you used it as a verb rather than a noun, which was an issue, but onwards. <laughs> okay, story number one. What happened to the chick chick boom girl? Viral sensation Claire Werbeloff turned her back on fame and now has a very responsible career 10 years later. This is from Daily Mail. Do you remember the chick chick boom girl? I saw this story... <laughs> And I thought to myself, have you ever felt like you've completely missed a viral moment and have no idea what happened Stop. and what you were doing? I don't know what, what I was doing in my life 10 years ago when this went viral because I've never heard of this story. Zara McDonald. Are you kidding me? Not joking. Okay. I obviously Googled and watched the video when I saw this story. What did you think of the video? It was pretty funny. (laughs) Okay, those who are not familiar with Chick Chick Boom Girl, this is a person who I think it was Channel 9 approached. There was a shooting on King's Cross in Sydney and Channel 9 went out to the streets and were trying to get eyewitness accounts of what actually happened. I think it was like a gangland shooting. So they were trying to go out, find people. Claire Werbeloff came up and said, yep, I saw it. I can tell you what I saw. She jumps on live television and gives this ridiculous account of this shooting that she apparently saw, which, FYI, would be considered very, very racist in 2019. It's a very racist video. She drops the wog word a lot. And the way she described it is what made it so viral. I think you actually need to go watch the video. Google chick chick boom while you're here and just watch it because it's ridiculous. She became famous for it because it went viral all around the world and then came out and said that she actually never saw the shooting take place at all and she just wanted to get famous which worked because she was then represented by Max Markson is that his yeah, name yeah Max Markson Max Markson who also represented Lara Bingle and he the like and Corey Worthington after Corey Worthington oh. so he has a type <laughs> he has a definite type yes so what is she doing now so she's now working in healthcare he didn't know what he was like oh I think she's a speech pathologist or a nurse or aged care oh my gosh. <laughs> or a doctor I don't know I don't think Max Markson knows but all he knows is that he's off 
offered her work recently and she wants nothing to do with him. Good on her. Yeah, I mean, it's a good recovery story. This was 10 years ago now, so she'd be almost 30. I so think. I would have been 14. I don't know what I did when I was 14. I don't know how you missed this. This was the kind of thing that was on all those like nightly talk shows, like Rove, if Rove was still around in 2009, I think he was, would be covering this. Interesting. I, I, God knows what I did when I was 14. I <laughs> know. Story number two. These women all have a freckle on the same exact spot on their wrist and it's getting out of hand. Time magazine. What a pun there from them. Play on words. Oh, I get it. Getting out of hand. Yeah, wrist. I get it. <laughs> so where is the, the freckle meant to be? Okay, well, this is what's annoying me slightly. Lots of women are then sharing photos of their wrists and we've almost relaxed the rules to the point where if you have any freckle near your hand and or wrist, you count. It should be in the middle of your wrist. Do I have one? Show me. See, I don't think I do. Mine's no, a little off-centre. Yours off-centre. Mine's a little bit off-centre too. And it's kind of two freckles merging into one. So this is a non-story. It's, uh, I don't know if it's a non-story. I don't know if it's a story just to go around and ask women if they have any freckles on either of their wrists. I mean, the ones in the Facebook group were annoying me slightly. Sorry, Facebook listeners. <laughs> Our Facebook group? Yeah, because people are posting like the very br- top oh, so of their hand, hand and stuff. Oh, so it's meant to be on your wrist? Well, I think it's supposed to be like, you know that little knobble thing? This is very <laughs> technical. <laughs> You know, the, like knob of your wrist, knob that <laughs> that bone. You mean the sticky outy bit of the bone? The sticky outy bone. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be around that level, a little right. bit down, maybe more towards the wrist. This is a funny story to go viral. I know, but Should- everyone's just now sharing photos of their freckles, and I was scrolling through the thread on our Facebook group, thinking that one doesn't count. That one doesn't. Count. <laughs> just comment, <laughs> veto, veto, veto. I mean, why not just use it as an excuse for everyone to get their freckles and moles checked? Yeah, true, actually. Maybe this will stop someone from getting melanoma or prevent someone from being seriously ill. If you're looking for a sign to go get your mole checked, this is it. Thanks, Zara McDonald. You're welcome. Story number three. I've taken to calling you Zara McDonald now. <laughs> I've also taken to saying the word etc. out loud all the time. Oh, and my you? friends keep I picking up on it. I wonder why. Yeah, weird. My third story. <laughs> Former Big Brother narrator Mike Goldman addresses rumours he was squatting in abandoned house. This is from Nine Honey. Now, you need to explain this to me because I actually haven't read it. But from that headline... I'm concerned. Yeah, so this was a really interesting story. Mike Goldman was the narrator on Big Brother. Everyone will remember his voice, who actually watched Big Brother back in the day. And very recently, photos and footage emerged of the former Big Brother mansion where it was like completely derelict and dilapidated. Did you see those photos of the Big Brother house? It was scary. I watched the YouTube video. Apparently, it's been burnt down now. Yeah, well, apparently, there were also rumours that Mike Goldman was squatting in the house after falling on hard times following Big Brother's axing in 2014. God. And so last week he addressed he addressed the rumours in a tweet saying, being in the news talking about the dilapidated Big Brother house, I didn't divulge I went through a rough patch financially and was actually squatting there for a few months. Oh. Thanks production crew and staff at Dreamworld for looking the other way before I got on my feet. Oh, my God. I feel like I just got goosebumps. That's so sad. Isn't that a crazy and intense story? Especially that last line, thanks to the production crew and staff at Dreamworld for looking the other way, for letting him get back on his feet without sort of shaming him about it or forcing him out. Wow. Yeah. I, it just feels so sad that you would be living in that house where that was the pinnacle of your career. Yeah. And hopefully he exceeds that pinnacle in the, down the it track. It's very meta, doesn't it? God, it's just like that storyline. Mike Goldman was one of the biggest media personalities, yeah. I would argue, in the country for Absolutely. quite a while. He even hosted the Saturday night... Uh, Friday night games. Friday night games. That was the best part of my week. I love Friday night yeah. games. Remember when they used to get that big fan and they'd have to <laughs> run up and try <laughs> 
<laughs> Try and Fitzy beat the fan. It was so good. Oh, I wonder what Brie's doing now. Yeah, I know. Oh, no, she's on radio. Okay. Yeah, she's on radio. That's horrific. I feel so sad to know that story. It's good to know that he's back on his feet, though, exactly. and not squatting there anymore. God. All right. My fourth story. Blind singer who has autism stuns on America's Got Talent with powerful performance. This is from Fox News. Please tell me you have watched this. I haven't. You haven't watched it? No, I've seen it around. It's on my list to watch. Like, I I understand it's something I should watch because I've seen it around so much. I just haven't had the opportunity to, she says, when she spends all day on her phone. So the singer's name is Cody Lee. I think he's in his early 20s from memory. He might be 22. He does have autism. He is also blind, as the headline said. And... The performance on America's Got Talent. I'm not into music shows or singing shows. I'll be straight up about that. They're not my thing. I'm way more into soppy romantic or trashy romantic reality shows. However, this has to be one of my favorite videos of all time when it comes to reality television. This boy's talent is so disarming and arresting, which is your new favorite word at the moment. Am I saying it a lot? Yeah, you're saying arresting all the time. <laughs> but I, I'm obsessed with it. I think it is such a beautiful, beautiful video. And, of course, there's, like, a lot of dramatic music and slow-mo and everything at the end when the judges give their feedback. However, it is so pure and so wholesome. And if you want something to uplift you and enrich your day, I highly recommend you go and watch this because it was amazing, amazing, amazing. It's on my list. Great. My fifth story, Big Little Lies stars Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, and Meryl Streep attend New New York premiere. That is from news.com.au. And this is another story from you. It is. Are you excited for season two? Did you watch season one? I watched season one. I preferred the book. Yeah, I much prefer the book, but there's something about being able to sit in, there's something about being able to sit in front of this story that I love so much because it's so well told and so well made, I think. Mm. So I'm super excited to see how Meryl Streep actually has a character. Also with this one, I imagine you're going to enjoy it more because there is no second Big Little Lies book, so we don't know where it's going. Mm, I kind of disagree with that. I don't really like it when television shows take the storyline beyond the written version (laughs) okay I think it's just I think if it's a novel that was designed to be a standalone novel it's pretty rare for the television series to then take the narrative in a productive and challenging direction well Leanne Moriarty has had a lot to do with the writing of this no I get that I also agree with you (laughs) but it did end on a cliffhanger so I'm kind of wanting to know what happens what was the cliffhanger again (laughs) we need to give a teaser for everyone I forgot no it wasn't it wasn't exactly it ended really strangely did it? Someone died. But we knew who died based on the book. Yeah, but we didn't really... Okay, I guess my definition of cliffhanger is a little <laughs> off. We literally know the conclusion based okay. on the book. I still feel like there was more to flesh out. Right. I don't know. I just She's feel like... into it, fam. I feel like when something's created with the intention of that being a standalone piece of work, I understand why an author or a writer or a creator might retrospectively want to then go back and flesh it out more, I never think that's a very good idea because if it was created with a one-and-done approach in mind... It might not have been. It might have been a, book, a novel oh, that was Sarah written McDonald. with a sequel in mind. Who knows? A bit of positivity from you, Michelle. I, I just had positivity with my story number four. Thank <laughs> you, you very much. Up. You, on the other hand, need to stop saying fam when re- <laughs> responding <laughs> to me. I thought that went over your head. Hey, is that all you've got for me? That's all I've got, fam. <laughs>
The headlines came in thick and fast. It's a hard job. Former reality star says it's not easy being an influencer was just one of them. Cassidy from Love Island had taken to her Instagram stories to lament criticism of the job, saying people think influencers do, and I quote, fuck all. Mish, Cass's comments made international news, which I find funny because she's certainly not the first influencer to defend her profession. Why do you think that was? I think she was the first influencer to defend her profession in such resolute, absolute, absolute terms. Yeah. I think the way she spoke about influencing was her downfall. It's funny because when I read her quotes and I go through what she said, I do see a thread of truth in some of the stuff that she actually was trying to communicate. She fell down in how she communicated it, in that she was not very nuanced in the way she tried to get this across. And she came across as, to be blunt about it, and this isn't a reflection of Cassidy the person, it's a reflection of the Instagram stories that she put out, is uneducated and very, very, very privileged. Incredibly. Do you want to walk us through some of the things she said so we don't take any of them out of context? Well, this is the thing. So, yeah, we do need to set this up as well, that we're not here to mock Cassidy from Love Island. We're here to look at her comments because I think her comments actually secretly or not so secretly represent a huge number of influencers who feel this way. I think it's indicative of a wide range of attitudes that exist in the industry for sure. Yeah, I don't think she'd come and stick her neck out over this unless this was a conversation that was happening privately. And she felt comfortable doing so, which clearly she did. Yes, exactly. So it goes beyond Cassidy. These were her comments and I've made a few dot points that we can just read them out. This might take me a bit of time, but stick with me. I kind of want to come on here and defend this stigma around having social media as a job. Everyone thinks that we get paid a shitload to do fuck all and it's really easy. It's not easy. This job basically never stops and there's a lot of pressure. The way I look at it, you have your job, you have however many bosses, you maybe have a review once a month where they give you some feedback, some constructive criticism, they give you some praise and you move on from there. I have 260,000 bosses essentially. Sometimes I even put your happiness and needs in front of what I would actually like to post because I know what you guys like as opposed to what I like. The last quote I have for you is, I am very grateful for the opportunities that I'm continuously given and I feel like that goes without saying. But as I said, there's one boss out there that will feel the need to remind me of how privileged I am. I just want to give my fellow influencers a pat on the back. It's a damn hard job. There's a lot going on here. And in fairness to Cass, many of her comments, which I'm not a huge supporter of, have been mocked incessantly since she said them. And it's almost proving her point. But alas, I think we actually need to dig into what she said because... I don't love a lot of the commentary that comes after an influencer says and does things like this because I think the commentary about the comments lack nuance too. Yes, I totally agree with that. Well, when you said it kind of proves her point in that she has a hard job, I think the one really tricky aspect of being an influencer or being in the public eye is that you are privy to a whole raft of hate that doesn't come with the typical job. So I think that's a very worthy and worthwhile conversation and it did arise after Cass put this out into the world, which is ironic in a weird way. However, we need to also check ourselves when we talk about this and the fact that being an influencer compared to almost every other job out there isn't actually a hard job. 
Well, one thing I'm beginning to sense the more we do this job is that the industry, and I say the industry and that the influencer industry, is a little insular by virtue of how it's built. So work and play overlap in a way I've never seen before in the influencer industry. Because of this, influencers are often very close with other influencers because they're all kind of freelancers that don't have a workspace or work friends. So these are essentially their co-workers and colleagues. Yeah. Because of that, they're trapped in this bubble where they're surrounded by people constantly who do similar things to them and it's almost incredibly enabling. Mm. It's hard not to lose perspective when they all exist in this bubble. And I don't think a lot of them would disagree with me with that because their social life and their work life overlap more than anything I've ever seen in my life in any other industry it's really hard not to lose perspective on what's normal. So when we said earlier, Cassidy's probably saying these comments because she feels incredibly comfortable to do so. She assumed that she was going to get a wealth of positive feedback from influencers because this is clearly a conversation they've had before. It reminds me a lot of our conversation with Tully Smythe, which you guys can go back into the feed and listen to. And Tully was saying that she sat around at brunches before or influencer events where people have been complaining about what colour of car they got to loan for free or what brands want to work with them when they'd prefer to work with a different brand or wear a different dress to an event. And she said in that episode, what the fuck are we doing? What are we talking about? And even you and I, Zara, I don't think I've actually said this on the podcast before, we refer to it as the black hole a little bit in that we do see some people go down this path where you're so insulated and everything you're doing and everyone you're interacting with is so privileged and so well off and the perks of your job are so insane that you end up completely detached from reality and completely detached from what the average workplace looks like. Well, it's a completely warped sense of reality. And I would like to think that we're pretty fair generally on how there is a wealth of issues around credibility with influencers, which can be grossly unfair. I think if we are talking about influencers who are building long-standing and long-term businesses leveraging off their following, there's a lot to be said about the work that goes into that. For example, when we were at Mechaland, I just remember watching Pia Muhlenbeck and her partner Kane. While most people were sort of milling around backstage ready to go on and speak, they were filming every single thing knowing full well, minute by minute, what they were going to use as content. And that was really interesting to watch. Agree. I think, though, it would be totally remiss of us to palm off these comments as ones that don't matter because I think they matter a lot. Yeah, I think the reason Cassidy's comments really struck a nerve with so many people and this might come across as really snarky is because I see two different kinds of influences. And I think Cassidy at the moment fits in one camp and then there's another camp, the camp that you just discussed then. I think the public see a massive difference in the influences who add value and those who don't. So do you have a blog? Do you have a message? Do you have a business? Do you have some other arm for which you are building your career around? If you are just taking selfies all day long, I think, and I know this sounds harsh, I think there is a difference there. If you are providing your audience with something, they're often more understanding of what your job actually is and the difficulties around that job. But I I know it's harsh. I almost refuse to believe that what people like Cassidy from Love Island are doing right now constitutes a difficult job or hard as fuck job or whatever terminology she put around it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that exchange of value is crucial here. We talk about that 
a lot in that I will look at my Instagram feed and be like, well, what are they actually offering me? Like, are they, I know it sounds stupid, but are they providing me a service? What is their purpose? If somebody is providing me something, giving me value, I'm more than happy to scroll through their sponsored content and work out what brands they've chosen to align with. I think the comment that's rattled most feathers. Oh my God, I bet you we have the same comment written down. She said, a lot of people get paid well. I get paid well. A lot of people get paid well. Absolutely they don't. If you're a full-time worker in Australia and you earn more than $1,200 a week before tax and superannuation, then you are earning more than half of all other workers aged 15 years and older. So that's not full-time workers, that's 15 years and older. Our unemployment rate is at 5% and influencers can charge up to the value of $3,000 for a feed post if you have a similar following to Cass. Yeah, well, I wrote this down. The median yearly pay in Australia, according to the ABS, is $52,988 a year. Only 25% of Aussies earn more than $78,000 a year. So when Cass came out and did make that comment, we get paid well, like most other people get paid well, she's so detached from reality because no, there is such a huge knowledge gap there. The average Australian who works in aged care or healthcare or those really difficult, gruelling jobs are not earning anywhere near what the average influencer salary is. And the average influencer, she gave examples of what she does in that she goes to events, she replies to comments, she thinks of creative ideas and she collaborates and she betters herself as a person. That will make the average nurse, aged care worker, teacher, laugh because it is laughable. That's not a difficult job compared to the majority of Australians who are slogging it. I think it comes back to this idea of a gruelling and gritty job. And what's interesting to me is that I feel like we're all a little bit to blame for how hyperbolic and uncritical our conversations around influencer culture kind of occur or unfold. I feel like the general public are dismissive of the job to the point where they mock and joke. And because of this, the pendulum is swinging too far and influencers are going to the nth degree to prove their job is hard work rather than just harder than what we think. Mm. And I think there's a difference there. I feel like there's a complete middle ground we're missing. And I do think... We're in an era, and I'll be interested to see if you agree with this, where everyone is desperate to justify how hardly how hard they work. I think we're guilty of that. We often feel the need to say, we've had a pretty busy week, we've worked pretty hard, and we're glamorizing work in a way that doesn't need to be. Yeah, I totally agree with like, that. Like you can just say the job is maybe not as hard as a nurse or a teacher, but it's harder than what you think. It reminds me a lot of A, Anne Helen Peterson's piece on millennial burnout, and B, Derek Thompson, who wrote for The Atlantic on the religion of workism. And they came together very recently on an episode of the Ezra Klein show to talk about workism and how work has begun to infiltrate all aspects of our life. Well, last week we said work was our religion. Exactly. And I think it's all about this idea that our balance or our sense of balance is out of whack. We're obsessed with justifying our time in the context of working Mm. hard. And I just don't understand why we can't acknowledge that hard work exists on a scale and it's not an indictment on your work ethic if your job isn't as hard as the next person's. It's just life. But I think we take it so personally. So funny you brought that up because this week in the group, there was personality tests and everything flying about left, right and center. We talked about astrology and what that means about your personality. And then the Myers-Briggs personality test was a huge threat in the Facebook group this week. Everyone wants to define themselves. Everyone wants to read who they are and know who they are. And I think we've gotten ourselves to the stage 
moment where we think our job is a reflection of who we are intrinsically and on a cellular level. That if you're a nurse, it means you are empathetic and caring and kind to the nth degree, which I actually believe is often very true. But if you're an influencer, I'm guessing a lot of the people who are reading articles that say they're narcissists for taking selfies or they're X, Y, and Z for being an influencer, they want to redefine what that means, what that job title might ascribe to them as a person. And I think they have taken it too far. And I think it doesn't really make sense anymore. It's one thing to push back on the narrative that you're an idiot if you're an influencer. It's another thing to try and act as if you have the hardest job or have, in Cassidy's words, 260,000 bosses because you don't have that. Yeah. And you're fighting a losing battle. I think you've got good points to be made, but when you're going too far in how you're trying to over justify them, you're going to lose everyone, right? I do think that we project this idea that your job is absolutely a reflection of who you are like you just said, and that if you work hard, you're inherently a better person. Mm. I would like to say that I work hard, but I think that my mum and my sister have much harder jobs than I do, much, much harder on a day-to-day level, and I have no issue acknowledging that. In fact, I should probably say it to their face more often. One thing I did want to finish on today is her comments on bosses. And she said, I have 260,000 bosses who think that they can tell me what to do, when in reality, most of us have you know one boss giving us a performance review. I think if you've got a following, and we say this time and time again, you're going to be kept accountable. I don't think that's the same thing as having a boss. Working for yourself and being able to do so in a way that's flexible and empowering and keeps you afloat is an absolute privilege. And I think it is foolish to equate the two. Feedback sucks. Don't get me wrong. We we grapple with it all day, every day. <laughs> We've cried over it numerous times. But I do not consider our listeners our bosses no. because our listeners aren't telling me that after we do this record, I can't run to the doctor and sit there for an hour if I need to, because I need an emergency checkup. Like that's flexibility and a privilege that she should have absolutely acknowledged there. Totally. And in the greatest scheme of things, neither ourselves or cast are saving lives. And although we can talk about hard work, I think it's really important to acknowledge that we are not making people comfortable in their final days. We're not showering sick patients. We're not teaching kids how to read and write. We're not out in the cold every morning at 6am shoveling things. We're not completing 12 hour round trips to deliver products from one state to another. In our jobs, you and I and Cass, I'm sure, can do good. Yes, but it is a privilege to have an audience. Cass owes it to her following just as we owe it to our listeners many of the whom probably work in the jobs that we've just described. Which are far grittier than yeah, us. To acknowledge that privilege. It is a privilege to sit here. It is a privilege to have an audience that is linked to your job. That is a privilege. And the, the second that we try and compare what we're doing to people who are actually out there with terminally ill patients or with really young kids or in really gritty, hard jobs, we make a mistake. Yeah, jobs that are heavy on the mind. Mm. I think we completely underestimate how many jobs are heavy on the mind out there. And I think Cass could have had some some really important points to make on how we underestimate influencers. But by saying the things that she said, she lost a little bit of credibility along the way. Michelle. Yes, hello. (laughs) When we started Shameless a year ago, you promised me that we would never, ever, ever host another podcast again. I did. And I think, well, I know that I also lied. We are officially five days off hosting another podcast. We certainly are. (laughs) And it's not just any podcast for any random reason either. Five days to go, shameless family. So please keep your eyes peeled. We will be revealing the name of our new podcast on Friday morning at 6am. 
This week, a chart of Leonardo DiCaprio's dating history went viral. The chart, titled Leonardo DiCaprio Refuses to Date a Woman Over the Age of 25, looked at the actor's 20-year-long relationship history with much younger women and has been shared widely across the interwebs. Zara, do you care <laughs> that Leonardo DiCaprio... You can't call me out for that if you're going to say fam. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start my question again. Zara, do you care that Leonardo DiCaprio only likes women when they're under the age of 25? Um, equivocally yes you care absolutely I care and I know that when conversations of you have sort of filtered through the Facebook group and I've kind of kept my distance from them until we have this conversation (laughs) because I know that people will say what's it got to do with you it is none of your business who Leonardo DiCaprio dates and to a point I agree but I care because I think it matters and I think that there's a whole conversation to be had around men like Leonardo DiCaprio who aren't just having one relationship like this. They have a pattern of behaviour that's consistent over decades. Yeah, that's the word that I had in capital letters on my notes, pattern. Mm. So from the get-go, I think it's important to, again, contextualize this we are not talking about singular relationships if you're listening to this and there's a big age gap between you and your partner this is not about you this is not it this is an analysis of a pattern where he has gone through relationship after relationship after relationship where there's been a huge huge age gap so this was made by a reddit user this graph was made by a reddit user called trust little brother And it did look over the last 20 years as to who he's been dating. So currently he's 44 and he's dating a 21-year-old model named Camilla Marone. And it's interesting to look at how he has aged. His love interests have not. He has typically dated women between the age of probably 19 to 23 is his real sweet spot. So he's never actually dated a woman over the age of 25. Never. And the average age of his girlfriends is 22.9 years old. Interesting. So it's pretty young. Um, The chart does found, like we said, 20 years and eight relationships from 1999 to 2019. So like Mish keeps saying, once again, this is absolutely not a comment on people that have age gaps in relationships. Love is love. You do you. But when it is... You do you, boo. (laughs) Just some Monday morning inspo for you. But I do, coming back to my original point, I do think that this stuff matters. Christina Cotarucci wrote for Slate, and I have actually quoted this in a really old episode from maybe well over a year ago, but I think it's a really interesting point to be made about age gaps or consistent age gaps with regards to Leonardo DiCaprio's relationships. And she wrote, older men, especially rich older men, especially rich and famous older men, date much younger women all the time. It's one of those accepted ubiquitous social cues that tell women they get less fuckable as they age, but men don't. DiCaprio seems particularly committed to the 20 to 25 age range, though. Maybe it's a very specific trophy girlfriend archetype he's looking for, or maybe he's scared to date someone as grown and wise to the world as he is. Okay, so do you have an issue with that quote? I slightly disagree. What do you disagree with? Which is funny because I actually wrote an opinion piece for the Sydney Morning Herald last year in October about older men who date much younger women. The more I think about this now, perhaps it's a a different layer of colour to this. What if we flip the narrative? What if it's not that Leonardo DiCaprio is this level of power and this level of maturity and he doesn't want a woman to challenge him into another narrative in that Leonardo DiCaprio never matured beyond the age of a 25-year-old? Because if you look at the quotes that Giselle Bunchen gave in Feb this year, she said that she broke up with him when she was 24 because no longer numbing myself with smoking, drinking and too much work, I was becoming more and more aware of the things I'd chosen not to look at. Was I alone in wanting to do some serious soul searching while he 
stayed the same? In the end, unfortunately, the answer was yes. I do think that this age difference between Leonardo DiCaprio and his love interests could be a reflection not of misogyny or of wanting an unequal partner, but instead of his own lack of maturity and his own stunted emotional development, which, sorry, Leo, if you're listening to this, this is brutal. Hey, Leo. <laughs> but what happens if it doesn't say anything about his views towards women? It is just indicative of a man who grew up in a bizarre world where he never really grew up. I actually think it's probably both. I think both of those things can be true at the same time. I think absolutely there has to be elements of maturity there. I don't think you can be a mature 45-year-old and have such a consistent pattern because I think if you were a really mature 45-year-old, at some point you'd look a tiny bit older, you know, to the 26-year-olds, 27-year-olds. <laughs> but I do think we have to we have to actually unpack. Sorry, I know that everybody in the Facebook group this week made a list of words we say very often and unpack was one of them, but honestly, <laughs> challenge me to replace it. We have to unpack as well the gender and power dynamics because I don't think we can ignore their existence. But do you think one man represents gender dynamics and power dynamics? No. One man but the just truth, represents one man. Exactly. But the truth is we'll actually never know Leonardo DiCaprio's personality type. So for that reason, it's actually very important that we unpack both sides of it and say, well, it very easily could be at column A, it very easily could have been column B, or it could be an overlap of the two. True. I think there are men like Leonardo DiCaprio who would be the ones that are doing this because of sort of inherent misogynistic or maybe inherent um, sexist tendencies. And mm. so we need to use him as an example because we'll never find out what he's actually like, which might sound unfair. The second thing I thought as you were saying that is Leonardo DiCaprio is not some sort of like frivolous, stupid, boyish 44-year-old man. He is a man who's incredibly good at his job, incredibly switched on, someone who fights very consistently for climate change. This is a man who actually genuinely cares about the world and thinks about things that are going on. I can't see him, and I know I'm literally just trying to analyse Leonardo DiCaprio's personality. Oh, mate, I was doing that two minutes ago. Don't worry about it. Without meeting him. But I can't see him being a man that doesn't think about the world or he just wants to get out, go out and get fucked up with a 22-year-old. But you're confusing IQ and EQ. No, also very, very different Oh, trust me, I know. Especially in men. Some of the smartest men I know aren't overly emotionally intelligent and same with some of the smartest women I know. I do think I understand both sides. I mean, I argued both sides, I think, in an episode that we did at the beginning of Shameless where we did look at Scott Disick and Sophia Ritchie. I I get it. I do get it. I think it is two things at once, but I just think we're taking it a step too far if we act like this is intentional or sexist simply because he has been dating younger women. I think there is a question mark here. I just don't think there's an answer. No, I I 1000% agree with you. I think the absolute nature of this, the absolute nature of a conversation about this and sort of putting it down just to gender power dynamics is a mistake. Mm. Brad Nash wrote for GQ about Leo's relationships and said, now we're not wants to kink shame or pass judgment on the dating habits of one of the world's most desirable men. If he wants to spend his golden years with a rotation of consenting early 20-somethings, he's well within his rights to do so. Mm. I mean, first and foremost, it's interesting that a man has a perspective on that. I am interested, though, and I am curious in this conversation about whether it matters, and I think that's the question that keeps coming back from the other side, why does this matter? It doesn't really affect my life. And when I say really, it doesn't affect my life at all unless Leonardo DiCaprio calls me and says, I want a date. Although, And then you tell him I'm about to turn 25. I know, so I'm, you know, I've really only got a year going We've on We've got here. about a month. <laughs> 
I do think it's worth having a conversation about it, though, because I think it's always important to have a conversation about gender power dynamics, whether or not this is the only explanation. I think it says a lot about how we communicate to women that they have less worth and have less currency as they age. If Leo wants to date these women, all power to him. But if he does and has a pattern that extends beyond 20 years, we just as equally have the right to unpack why it feels like or seems like from the outside women look disposable to him. God, yeah, I agree with that. I think the one thing that stands out to me as well is that with his current partner, Camilla Marone, he has known her since she was 11 and they started dating when she was 19. I do think that's a a weird dynamic there if you've known someone since they're a child if you've known a woman since she's a child I think there's a definite question mark on top of that as well I I think we kind of agree we kind of don't I just think it's important when we talk about this narrative to also flip what we're assuming and talk about the other side absolutely and I think if anyone wants to understand a purpose behind this conversation like what's why talk about it and once again why do you think it matters I think the purpose of it acknowledging it is truthfully to warn off or have a conversation with younger women who find themselves in relationships consistently with older men Mm. I think that power dynamic is crucial to recognize date who you want to date but acknowledge that there are maturity issues at play and that there are there are older men out there who think younger women are pushovers who aren't wise to the world like they are and for that reason will exclusively date them. Interesting. You're single now. Yes. What is the age gap that you've set on <laughs> Bumble? For example, you spoke about Bumble um, earlier. What did I put? I think like 27 or 28. Yeah, so a few years older. Yeah, not much at all though. I never ever dated anyone who was more than a few years. I think I kissed a guy once who was 40 when I was 18. <laughs> Goals. <laughs> at uh, Sorry Grandma Nightclub. <laughs> oh, the golden years, Michelle. He was wearing a flannel shirt. I'm so glad we're finishing on that note. I know. What a note to finish on as well. The last note for two weeks now. We are off for two weeks, but relax. Like we said, we've got something dropping for you on Friday. We also have an in-conversation dropping on Thursday, and then we'll take a two-week break from Shameless, but there'll be something else keeping you company. I love that you flipped Thursday and Friday. In Zara's weekly calendar, it goes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Thursday, Saturday. Just keeping things spicy. (laughs) We do have a really good in-conversation with Flex Mummy. We can't wait for you guys to listen to that. But as Zara said please do keep an eye out on our instagram page and in the facebook group because there will be announcements in there we are so excited to share our labor of love with you guys and oh i'm so excited and we'll stop being annoying very soon we'll see you guys on thursday yay see you on thursday have a safe flight zara thank you miss you already while you're in new york i will be i'll facetime you every day yeah can we actually facetime obviously cute (laughs) let's facetime with all the listeners can we get a group chat with like how many thousand people oh my god See you. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish Stylish, if you want to say it quickly, style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.